I'm reading from um, the New International Version, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. The Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Thank you, Caroline. Um, shall we just give thanks for the... Lord, we just thank you for the giving in this church, for the generosity that you instill in your people. And we ask that it may be used for your glory, your will. Yeah, Lord, your glory alone. We ask it in your name. So today, we're beginning a new sermon series, which will lead us into encountering Jesus in various places in the New Testament. And we're going to begin by encountering Jesus at his transfiguration, or at the time of his transfiguration. So let's set the scene. In chapter 16... Jesus has begun to explain to his disciples what would be happening to him. That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The disciples, and particularly Peter, are unwilling to believe Jesus. And in the last verse of chapter 16, Jesus says that some who were standing there, some of his disciples would not taste death before they saw the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So now a week later or so, after this conversation, Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James and John, up a nearby mountain in Luke's version of this story, in Luke 9, Jesus goes with three disciples up the mountain to pray. The nearby mountain is probably Mount Meron, uh, which is about 3,900 feet, 
1,190 metres, just in case you're interested, which was, <laughs> which was the highest mountain... Sorry, I'm full of this rubbish. Um, which was the highest mountain on the way between Caesar Philippi and Capernaum, which Jesus was at this stage, where Jesus was at this stage of his earthly journey between... Um, Although traditionally they say it's Mount Tabor, but Mount Tabor is much further down, so we'll stick with Mount Meron, I thought. Matthew 17, verse 2 says, There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Wow, that is jaw-dropping, isn't it? Perhaps we should ask then what transfiguration means. An easier word to explain transfiguration is probably transformation or a change in form. The Greek word that that's, this is translated from is metamorpho. I love that, metamorpho. Um, so you get the idea where we get the word metamorphosis, metamorphosis. Um, which we use to describe the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly or a larvae into a dragonfly or maybe even an ugly duckling into a swan. <laughs> These are moments of great transformation and transfiguration. So imagine if you've been Peter, James or John and you're looking at Jesus, a man just like you, and he's suddenly transformed into a radiant being, his face shining like the sun and clothed in light. What would you make of it? I wonder if the disciples realised at the time, actually we know they didn't, uh, but would we realise that Jesus had transformed into his heavenly being, that we're seeing the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, right in front of our eyes, just as he had been telling us a week previously. This was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as he had been before he created the world, and how he would be forever when he returned to heaven. For a brief moment, they and we are encountering Jesus Christ in all his glory. When wondering how I might be when confronted with the holy, radiant Son of God, I was reminded of some of the lyrics of the Mercy Me hymn, I Can Only Imagine. Do you know that one? It goes like this. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Peter says later in his second epistle how he felt. In 2 Peter 1, verse 16, he says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories, when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses 
of his majesty. Peter was there, an eyewitness to the majesty and glory of Jesus. And the Apostle John shares what he saw and experienced in his epistle, Apostle in the epistle, um, chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only, of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So not only of Peter, James and John seeing the Lord Jesus transformed before them. But then Matthew continues in verse 3 that just then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. If they weren't already reeling by the sight of the radiant, glorious Jesus, they now see and recognise Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. It was as if they were seeing into heaven. In Luke's account, it says that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about his departure, about his death, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. They were having a conversation about what Jesus had already told the disciples six days previously about which they'd been sceptical and disbelieving. And I think we'd be the same. If Moses and Elijah knew and were discussing Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and beyond with him, it had to be true. It confirmed what Jesus had said to them previously. Not only that, it was something that was known throughout heaven the mission of Jesus on earth to save his people from their sins and themselves. Moses and Elijah were talking to him about his earthly journey. We read, don't we, of the great joy there is in heaven when just one sinner turns to Jesus for salvation, for hope and abundant eternal life. Luke 15, 10 says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Heaven knew and knows the mission of God to save mankind and how it would be accomplished through Jesus, the Son of God. Somehow, heaven and earth feel much closer in this story than we actually think is the case. And if we want to go just a step deeper into why it might have been Moses and Elijah, Elijah that met with Jesus, something, and it makes sense, that Moses represented the law of God. Elijah represented the prophets and the prophecies of God. Jesus as Messiah, saviour of the world, would be the one who would fulfil God's law for us because we couldn't fulfill it ourselves and he would fulfill God's prophecies that his prophets had spoken over Israel. What grace and mercy. Then Peter brings us back to earth with a bump. He says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, 
I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Well, you can understand it from a human point of view, from several angles. Everyone acts differently when faced with shock or crisis or a surprise. Peter reacts by wanting to extend hospitality to these eminent men of God. Perhaps he sees them leaving and wants to keep them in his presence for longer. But he's jumped ahead and is inadvertently putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah, wanting to build them equal shelters. He just doesn't know what he's saying in this moment. I wonder how you react in a crisis. I'm not very good with surprises or scares. I don't really know how to react, to try and stay calm and in control, because I can't process what's happening quickly enough. Over 40 years ago, I worked at KFC. Some of you know this story, but it demonstrates what I'm trying to say. When it was at the bottom of the town, one Monday night, a man came into the shop with a shotgun and handed me a Tesco bag and asked me to fill the bag with money. How did I react? My colleague was in floods of tears saying, fill the bag, do as he says, quite rightly. Me? Did I wrestle the man to the floor and save everybody in there? No. <laughs> Bless you, Chris. <laughs> I wish it was a happy ending, but what, I don't want to disappoint you either, but what actually happened was I took two steps back, opened my mouth and said, I'll get the manager. <laughs> I totally understand why Peter just reacted without thinking at all before he spoke, and I suspect in reality, many of us do. I did eventually fill the bag and off he went. But um, yeah, nobody was hurt. So please don't <laughs> worry about it. I'm not still traumatized. Um, so while Peter's still muttering about building shelters, the Lord God Almighty comes in a cloud, declaring, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now the three disciples react and fall on their faces before the voice of God. The Father makes it clear who Jesus is. The disciples can't be seeing Moses, Elijah and Jesus all as men, all as human beings, all the same. God declares, this is my son, whom I love and I'm pleased with. Listen to him. Well, I wonder, are we listening to the voice of Jesus? Are we listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our heart? What's he saying to us through his word? Jesus is the word. He's the son of God. And he alone has the answers to the questions we have, just like Duff was praying earlier. He has the answers to the empty space we have when we don't know him. He knows what plans he has for each one of us. 
and how you will bring glory to him and bring in his kingdom here on earth. God tells Peter, James and John to listen to what Jesus is telling them, what he said about suffering that he's going to endure in Jerusalem at the hands of the religious leaders of the day and that he will rise again. Encounters with Jesus are full of wonder and hope and joy and love. But being a follower of Jesus is not easy. Jesus had said to his disciples in the previous week in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus had chided Peter for only having earthly concerns, and in a way Peter was still acting on his earthly concerns by offering shelters. Now these three disciples hear the Lord God's voice declaring that they were to listen to his son. The three of them were terrified now and face down. It was all totally outside their normal life experience. I know that's what I'd be like. I'd also be mortified that I'd brought everything down to earthly things and be afraid of the consequences, wouldn't you? But oh, the beauty of verses 7 to 8. Through his touch and words, Jesus offers such compassion to the disciples in this great moment of fear. He understands their every need and care and has been through everything they have as a man. He knows what they and we experience. Verses 7 and 8 say, Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. This is the encounter we have with Jesus when we come to know him as our saviour and king and when we're overwhelmed with the world or think we're too bad to ever be saved by grace. We recognize who Jesus is through his touch and his voice. Get up, he says, don't be afraid. We don't need to be afraid. Jesus is everything we'll ever need for life and death. And when finally they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. This sentence just so spoke to me. We should be looking up, looking at Jesus. Then we'd see no one but him and his glory, his love, his mercy, his faithfulness. We'd feel his touch and know his voice and listen to him. So I want to leave you with this really well-known chorus which most of you know, but it has kept me many times during my life. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world 
will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Oh, Kenrick, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>